morning. My name is Michelle Walls, and I serve as one of the deacons here at Covenant. And whether you are one of the many here in person or watching from home, we'd like to welcome you. We would also like to give you a way to reach out to us. If you're here in person, there's a blue connect card in the seat back in front of you. You could put any prayer requests, praises, or questions and drop that into the offering plate at the end of the service. If you're watching from home, you could go to covenantexperience.com, and you could do the same there. This morning, I'll be reading our scripture verses, which are from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. the grace and the peace of God. As we continue in worship, I hope that that's just something that we can hold on to and remember just how beautiful the name of Jesus truly is. Please stand with us as we continue.
to spend a few moments now in the quiet just to meet with our Father. And in this time, like, just meet God and just talk to Him and thank Him for just how amazing He is. Let's take some time now and just go to Him.
God, I just thank you that you saved us, that you saw each and every one of us, and you chose to make the ultimate sacrifice because you love us. I just ask that you would just open our hearts and our minds, that you would just make us aware of your presence as we listen to this message. Amen. That was fun, wasn't it? That's awesome. Good way to start out the new year, right? Happy New Year, Covenant. How are we doing this morning? My name is Pastor Chris. As many of you know, I get the pleasure of bringing God's Word to you this morning, provided my iPad cooperates. So, Happy New Year, 2023. Are y'all ready for this? Are y'all ready to start another one? Another... Around uh, a trip around the globe as we look into the future. You know, we talk about, when you talk about New Year's, I mean, people talk about resolutions. They talk about trying to do things differently, try to, try to live changes in their lives, make lifestyle changes. A lot of people use it as an opportunity to step out and do something different, maybe uh, start dieting or working out or doing something along those lines. You know, today I want to talk about... The, the title of the sermon this morning is actually, Whose Are You? And we'll talk about who you are as a person. What defines you? What makes you who you are? You know, because it's important for us to know who we are. Because the world's going to define you the way they want to define you. Things are going to happen the way you, and people are going to look at you the way they want to look at you. They're going to say things about you the way they want to say things about you. But the question is, whose are you? We know who the devil wants you to be. We know who, what other things to take you away from being what you're supposed to be. You know, we can look at John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you have life and have it more abundantly. Well, I'm going to ask you this question of a whose are you this morning, because defining whose you are will help you live that life more abundantly. So the question is, who you, whose are you? Which one are you, how are you going to be defined? And so what defines you? What makes you who you are? What makes you, as a person who walks this globe and is going to get to walk this globe in 2023, what makes you who you are going to be this year? How are you going to be defined? How do you want to be defined? How do you want to be looked at? What's important? Many times what defines someone is the events that surround them. We can talk about the generation that grew up during World War II, and we can talk about that generation. And the, the, that war that occurred defines who that generation is and has defined them for many years and, and made them who they are. And, and we look back on that generation that built this country the way it's been built in so many ways, and that's defined us as a, as a country in so many ways is because of that generation. We can look at my generation like mine that grew up in the Cold War where we got to hide under desks for, for a nuclear attack and tornadoes is where I grew up. You know, it's kind of weird. We, nuclear attack or tornadoes, you just jump under your desk. Yeah. We can talk about the things that define our current generations. You can talk about things like 9-11 or wars that have defined generations in the past several years. Things that define and make these generations who they are. Sometimes we are defined by lesser-known events to the wider world. Maybe it's you're defined because of who you married, 
who your kids are, a diagnosis that happened to you, or a death that occurred in your life. Many times define, what defines us is, somehow, is the, how we present ourselves, especially in our day and age today, the, the, how we present ourselves to the world around us, especially on social media. People know you because of what you post, what you say about yourself, how, good, how you make yourself look, what you, what you do. And, and so you are defined by those things that people, other people see that you present out to uh, about yourself. And many of y'all kind of know me, right? Y'all know I'm married to Michelle. Yep, she read scripture earlier. You know I have three kids, Riley, Carson, and Hudson. Um, you, you know I own my own business. You know I'm a Dallas sports fan, right? Which means, now, I'm not just a Cowboys fan, and that, a lot of people get hung up in that. I'm not just a Cowboys fan. I'm a Mavericks fan. I'm a Stars fan. I'm a Rangers fan. Every Dallas sport team. I'm a fan of all of them. You can find memorabilia or, or paraphernalia from all those teams somewhere in my house or in my office. I'm also a Texas Longhorns fan. So I, you know, I, I cheer for the Longhorns. Now, I will be cheering for TCU this week because, you know, they're our stepchild that we, you know, for many years. No, I'm just kidding. I have a lot of good friends that have graduated, gone to TCU, and they graduated from TCU, and it's a good school. So it's an opportunity, you know, that. You know me because I, I own a business. I've owned a business for almost 15 years. This year will be my 15th year. I mean, in, in the middle of my 15th year of running my own business. Y'all, so many of you know me because I'm an elder here at Covenant. And then last year, I took on the student ministry position in the church. And y'all know me because of that. And you know all these little aspects of me. But to truly know me, is that, is that really who I am? Does that define me? There are aspects of my life, but what really defines me. Now, if you were taking, ask me, what's my favorite type of genre of book to read? It's a biography by far. I love reading people's stories. I love, wow, I love reading people's stories. Let me repeat that for those of you who didn't hear it. I love reading about people, what makes them tick, who, what made them who they are. I love reading stories of, of leaders. I love reading stories of generals. I love reading stories of People who have done great things. I've loved reading stories of people who y'all may not have ever heard of. I love reading stories about people. When I get to meet somebody for the first time, one of the first things that usually I ask them, where they're from, what, you know, different aspects of who they are, and try to get to, to learn about their story just a little bit. Because I like learning about people. Because, I, because learning about people helps me to understand people, helps me understand who they are. What are people going to learn from you this year? What's going to define you in a way that people are going to look at you and say, I know that person because of? How are you going to be defined this year? And when I ask this question, I don't ask it just for you to look at the surface level things of who you are. I want you to dig a little deeper into who you are. And I want you to dig a little deeper, even deeper into the aspect of who you are as a creation of God. And how does that define you? 
And if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to dig a little deeper into that and how that defines you and what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to be someone who loves Jesus and wants to live for Jesus. And there's some scripture passages, throughout scripture, there's scriptures that deal with this aspect of who we are in Christ, who we are as a follower of Christ, who we are to be living as a a follower of Christ. And, And there's some pretty incredible ones. Ephesians chapter, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That should define you as a person as you live your life. What you do with your body and how you live your life. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves the same, with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Are you suffering? Not for human things, but are you suffering? Are you living for human, not for human things, but for the will of God. The verses this morning, you may think, well, that's just a beginning introduction to to the book of Ephesians. Paul just laying out a salutation to the church at Ephesus. And what, what does that have to do with how we are defined? But Paul opens this letter in a somewhat atypical manner of opening a letter. Most of the time when you write a letter to someone and you turn out the greeting part of a letter, the greeting, talk, you talk about the mutual things you have in common with that person or things that you have discussed in the past with that person. Paul opens the letter of Ephesians a little bit differently and opens it up where he talks about not what they have in, uh, what they have in common as a personal relationship, then he talks about what they have in common as followers of God and their relationship with each other between who they are is defined by God. Paul starts out by defining who he is. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God. When I read this, I hear a man who understood that God had defined who he was and what he was to do. God had given him a task in life, and he was living out that task, an apostle, an apostle being someone who had seen Christ by the will of God. He wasn't an apostle by his own will. He was given that by God's will. He was being defined as who he was as a follower of God and being defined as an apostle of Jesus Christ by what God had done in him and to him. And we know that story in Acts chapter 9. Paul's on the road to Damascus and Jesus blinds him and asks him, why do you persecute me? And from there, Paul sets out as an apostle of Christ that would define his life from that point forward till the day he died. By the will of God. Because God wanted me to do it, is what Paul basically is saying. Because God had given me that task. 
He understood who he was. He understood whose he was. He understood what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to live his life out and what, he, what difference he was supposed to make in other people's lives. He knew how he was to be defined. He didn't let other people define him. There were many people that tried to define him in different ways, to try to, to ostracize him, to try to take people away from Christ because of him and his weakness or his inability to do certain things. He was always being attacked by other believers. He was always being attacked by non-believers, but he never allowed those things, those outside forces to define who he was. He allowed what happened in Acts chapter 9 to define who he was, that he was a disciple of God and he was living his life for the will of God and by the will of God. He knew who he was. It didn't matter if he was being persecuted, it didn't matter whether he was being stoned, it didn't matter whether he's been run out of town, it didn't matter whether he was in prison, he knew whose he was. He knew what defined him as a person. And then he goes on in Ephesians and tells the churches of Ephesus and defines who they are. But the question is this morning, how, what does that have to do with us? He's writing to the church at Ephesus. Why does that matter to us how Paul defines the people of the church of Ephesus? Because the fact of the matter is he could be writing a salutation to the church, Covenant Church in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. And he can define who we are. As we step out into the new year, Paul gives us some very clear characteristics of what it means to be a follower of Christ. as we live the life that he's called us to live. The first thing he, call, he says in, in that is how God defines, uh, defines me is I am a saint. He calls the church at Ephesus their saints. Now, I know we get in this mindset of saint, what a saint is, and a saint being someone that is died, they're, they're no longer living. You can talk about uh, St. Patrick. You know, you can talk about St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. We can talk about that. And that's something that does, does happen in the Catholic Church a lot. It happens in the Catholic Church where they, someone dies, and after a period of time after their death, they are presented before a court in a trial for sainthood. And they, they, uh, the evidence of their life as a follower of Christ is given out, and miracles that happen and things that happen in their lives are set out. There's also someone on the other side that's this devil called the devil's advocate that tries to tear them down, and then that... then. They voted on whether they're a saint or not, and that's not what we're talking about. Because the fact of the matter is, anyone who has put their faith and trust in Christ is a saint. The word saint means set apart. It's another word for saying, a way, for say, a way to say holy. We are set apart. As followers of Christ, we are set apart. We are defined differently. Set apart for God's purposes, consecrated for God, holy, sacred. We are pious. The saint has godly character. 
three times in Scripture the word saint is actually used. The first time it's in Romans chapter 16. Paul is talking to the church at Rome about Phoebe. And he says to the church at Rome, welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Or Ephesians chapter 4 here in a, little bit, a couple of chapters after this morning's reading in verse 2, he says that we as followers, as leaders of churches are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The final time to give is in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, writes this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ toward loved us, gave himself for us, up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be sexual, uh, but, but sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So a saint is someone who, di who displays the character of holiness, who displays the character of Christ-likeness, who displays the character of being set apart from things of this world. That's one of the ways we should be defined. Jesus talked about being in the world but not of the world. That's called being a saint. So by definition, every person who has put their faith and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior is a saint. We have been changed by God through the story of Christ on the cross. And daily we are to become more and more set apart for God's purpose. Or become more and more saintly. Hello, fellow saints. Welcome to this world. Welcome to 2023. What are you doing to be set apart? How are you being defined as being set apart? How are you being defined as being a saint? Next word that Paul uses to define the church at Ephesus is faithful. Someone who is faithful is someone who is loyal and steadfast, someone who is true to the original. They are not like the chaff of Psalms chapter 1 where they're easily blown away by the wind. We are, they are faithful, loyal, always there. So the question comes, how do we be faithful? How are we to be faithful? What makes us faithful? What shows faithfulness? We can talk about faithfulness in many different ways. Let me talk to you in three different ways. First of all, through our intellect. We are shown to be faithful through the way we think, the way we pursue knowledge. This means that I, we are being challenged daily through the reading of God's Word. We're challenging our intellect, what we think. We're taking time to read God's Word and study God's Word and being challenged on the way we think so that we're not thinking like we would think outside of God, we are thinking because of what God has done in us. And we are thinking the way God wants us to think. We are being challenged in our intellect in the way we think and the way, we, and because thinking relates to action. 
And we should be always challenging ourselves in the way we think. That means we have to be in God's Word, studying God's Word, reading God's Word, understanding God's Word more and more every day. I saw some of you post this, li- this week that how many times y'all have read through the Bible in a year. That is cool. Some of you, 22 years straight reading through the Bible. And I hope it's challenging you when you read through the Bible. Because if you're just reading the Bible to read the Bible for reading's sake, that's not what the Bible's there for. The Bible's there for is to challenge us in our thinking, the way we think about who we are, the way we think about who God is, the way we think about how we should view other people and the way we live our lives. We should be challenged in that thinking. And the way we get challenged is taking God's word and using it as a mirror. And we look at ourselves and we look at the Bible and we go, wait a second, I'm not like that. I got to change my thinking. We're being challenged in our intellect. We're being challenged through our emotions as well. You know, there's a difference between saying, I understand what God says, and I know what God says, and I, 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 uh, it, it makes sense what God says, to saying, I am emotionally attached to what God says. How many of you are emotionally attached to people? You love them. You care about them. You want the best for them. You want them to have the best in their lives. You want them to succeed in life. You want them to do great things. You want their lives to be, to be enhanced and to be increased and to be happy and all these. You have an emotional attachment to them. And when they grieve, you grieve. And when you, they're happy, you're happy. We as faithful followers of Christ should have an emotional attachment to God that when we see things that break God's heart, it should break our heart. And we see things that happen that bring joy to God, it should bring joy to us. We should have an emotional attachment to God that helps us not only just have the mental capacity of who God is and what he's done, we should have a heartfelt feeling of who God is and what he does and how he works and how he acts in the world around us. There's many people that have an intellectual understanding, but to have that heartfelt understanding of who God is and being faithful to him, that takes you to a whole other level of being a follower of Christ. And finally, through our body. We use our body physically to honor God in the way we do things and the way we act. Jesus told us in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's being faithful. Daily. That we are being faithful to him and who he is and what he's done in our lives. We are being faithful to the call he's put on us through his son Jesus Christ, and we are making our lives more conformed to who he is. We are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're being changed to become more like Jesus. So Paul divides the church at Ephesus by being saints. He talks about being faithful. Can I say something about what defines me? my hope 
at my funeral, that's what's said about me. We should have a description at our funeral that describes us as someone who is faithful and who is saintly, who's living for God's purposes every day of our lives. Yeah, don't talk about all the other stuff. But what really defined them? Paul gives a final description in verse 2. And the description is in Christ. This is a phrase that Paul loves. And when I mean loves, I mean he loves this phrase to use about followers of Christ. Nine times between verses 2, or verse 1, and verse 23, nine times Paul uses this phrase to describe followers of Christ being in Christ. In verse 3, he says, blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. In verse 9, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. In verse 12, he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Nine times in the opening of the book of Ephesians, he uses that phrase in Christ. You want to hear how much more he loved that phrase? 164 times in all of his writings, he uses the phrase, in Christ. The phrase has more to, than, talks about more about than being just being saved. It is the essential element of who they are. The best way to understand this term is looking at the biblical imagery that is used about being in Christ. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, Jesus is telling a parable. He says, I am the vine and you are the, if anyone is in me and I in him. And he goes through this whole imagery of what it means to be a vine and that you have to have the vine, you have to have the branches, you have to have the root, you have to have the beginning, and then you have the branches. And he is what anchors us. He is what helps us to grow and brings us nourishment and enables us to flourish as the branches because we are in Christ. We are the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. You want to flourish as a follower of Christ? You want to live your life the way God wants you to live it? You want to be defined by a fo- as a follower who is in Christ? Yeah, I want to be a saint. Yeah, I want to be faithful. I also want to be in Christ. We may not fully understand what it means is the very essence of our salvation because apart from Christ, our condition is utterly hopeless. Everything that we are and everything that we do for God is made possible because we are in Christ. Being found in Christ is everything. It's a powerful definition for a follower of Christ. Being in Christ is the reason we have the word, the term Christian. 
in the first place. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas takes Saul to Antioch, and they begin to teach people about what it means to be a follower of Christ, and they teach, and they teach, and they teach, and then it comes down to, in, in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, it says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The word Christians means little Christ. Now, those of you who are parents understand this term. Those of some of y'all that are kids understand this term. Because you'll see a kid acting up and he'll be doing something and you'll be going, oh man, that's a little, I'm, my kids have been called little Chris's before. One day, I, my dad was a fireman in Richardson, Texas, a suburb of Dallas, and I walked into the fire station to go see him one time. When I was, I was an adult, I was in my mid-20s. I swung by the firehouse to see dad about something. I walked in. One of the guys I didn't know was there, and he, he looked at me, he asked me a question, and I answered him, and he goes, oh my gosh, you're Thurman Walls' son. Yeah, you're right. Mannerisms, way I talk, yeah, that's some of my dad, little, little Thurman. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're being a little Christ. You've been so identified as a follower of Christ in the terms of in terms of way he, who he is and what he did, that people around you look at you and say, you're a little Christ. You're acting like Christ. Now, I know what happens today in our time and day and age. Everybody wants to define themselves. You know, there's people who are Christians. Everybody's a Christian. If I step foot in the door of a church at one time in my life, I'm a Christian. Right? When you take surveys of the United States... Everybody's a Christian. They're self-identified as that. But if they take the true phrase and the true meaning of what it means to be a Christian, that's not true. Being a Christian means that you act like Jesus. You live like Jesus. It means you're living out what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do y'all understand that when it comes to being a follower of Christ, this is what the world around us wants? They want to see authenticity. They want to see realness. They want to see people who are truly followers of Christ in that way. They want to see people who are defined. They want to see people who are living out their faith that way. And their, their attachment to, to coming to Christ will come because our, we are being authentic. We're being real. We are being faithful. We are being saintly. We are being living in Christ. How are you going to be defined this year? What's going to define you? What's going to set you apart from the world around you? What's going to set you apart from the people that you, you work with? How are they going to define you? What are they going to say about you? What do you want them to say about you? You have been bought with a price. Jesus, death, in his shed blood. How is that defining you? 
Are you being defined the way God wants you to be defined? Are you living the way God wants you to live? Are you doing the things that God wants you to do? Or are you just living the way you want to? My hope, my prayer, is that every one of us at Covenant Church would be described as saintly, faithful, and in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness towards us. And we pray that we would live worthy of the calling that you put on our lives through your son Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen us for the task that we have of living for you. Lord, as we live our lives, help us to be defined by what you do and what you have done through us and in us so that our lives will be a reflection of the light that you have put in us through your son, Jesus. As we step out, help us to truly be faithful, to be set apart, and to be in Christ. In your son's name, amen. We're going to have an opportunity for you to respond. Our deacons, our elders are going to be at the crosses. An opportunity for you to respond. If you need prayer this morning, if you'd like someone to pray with you about something you're going through or is going on in your life and you want to be uh, prayed with, our deacons and elders are going to be there for you. If you'd like to talk to one of us, one of them, I want to welcome you to do that. As we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I pray that your life this year will be reflected, a reflection of who Jesus is in you. Let's sing. Stress.
Amen. You can be seated. We have one final act of worship coming this morning with our offering, and you are welcome to give online at covenantexperience.com, or you can uh, just give in the baskets here today. Also, next Sunday, we go back to our regular service times at 9 and 11, and before I pray this morning, uh, we have, uh, right after that, actually, we have a video about our upcoming surrender series. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you are worthy. And we give our lives to you and acknowledge that uh, this year is yours, and uh, we want to make the difference that we're supposed to make this year. We cannot do that without you, and we pray for your power and your spirit to enable us to do that. Help us to have the desire to do that daily uh, and the power and the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it mean to truly follow Jesus? You know, our culture's filled with people who say they know him, but if you look around, broad commitment to what he taught isn't widely evident, and sharing his message with others through evangelism, that's almost non-existent. Almost a century ago, German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer identified this problem with the title, Cheap Grace. Cheap Grace, he said, is the grace we bestow on ourselves. It's the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is a grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That sad imitation of Christian faith in the end does nothing for us that is of eternal value. Jesus calls us to something far better. And as we prepare for a brand new year, I can't think of a better time for us to challenge each other in taking our faith to the next level. So beginning Sunday, January 15th, we began a six-week series called Surrender. We're going to explore what Jesus really meant when he said, follow me. Some of that truth is hard, but it's far more liberating and empowering than the cheap imitations of grace that we sometimes create for ourselves. Jesus wants all of you. So join me as we start the new year, recommitting ourselves to the life that he offers.